Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me on episode 33 as co-host is a man you know on Twitter as JepaDT. Welcome to the show, Jep. Hey Pete, how's things? Outstanding, outstanding. We are now two weeks away from a June 11 restart, Jep. How good is it, mate? It is almost here. I, I'm so excited and we it's fair to say we all need sport back. For sure. Unfortunately, there's no crowds at this stage for the home and away season or even finals uh, forecast, but uh, hopefully we might be able to get there. If not this year, hopefully back next year. Jep, the fixture was released on Monday. What are your initial thoughts? Jeez, um, well, selfishly, um, West Coast having to play a home game with the Gold Coast, that was an idea. Two and oh. Yeah, it's, um, look, and against Richmond, which is apparently the AFL wanted a blockbuster up there, which is, you know, there's reasons for that. But look, as long as uh, my coasters get some stringer home games at at, uh, Optus Stadium, I think I'll be pretty happy. My initial thoughts as the four-game part one fixture was released was all about Max Gorn being an owner and his round two matchup and looking through at round three, round four and round five, Mark Pitney, Tom Bell Chambers, Darcy Ford or Reece Stanley, Sam Naismith. That is as good as a four game fixture as you can get if you're a Max Gorn owner and I am expecting big things. Yeah, that's uh, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? They're... Um... There's some big money coming, or big scores, sorry, coming your way, and uh, yeah, you're, you're sitting pretty. No, no, look, there's, that's that's a huge relief for you, given the punt you took on Gore, mm. and um, he's on a low ownership, so well done. Yeah, that's kind of a luck box into that, so that's not something that you could, anyone could have forecast. Obviously, the season's shutting down and everything, but uh, if he increases his salary from where he is at right now, uh, they're going. that's going to be a bit of a tough upgrade even from Sam Jacobs Jep yeah yeah and, and that's um, again probably re-emphasizes re- what I said last week about Jacobs being one of my first upgrades um, I think that that mantra still stands even and hopefully Gorn doesn't go too crazy at, at, in the early stages but um, yeah it's um, it's one of the simplified and um Simplified upgrades one can make because if Jacobs has a string of you know a couple of bad games, all that all that work to um to get the earnings and get the decent scores as a mid price it goes to, goes to nothing. So um yeah, nothing changes from my end. I'll just be the guy going against you, mate, and praying that Gorney doesn't go too too heavy on the scores. One concern I have for the remainder of this season, Jep, is the lack of information. The AFL industry lost several key uh, footy reporters over the COVID crisis uh, due to job cuts. And we know clubs aren't required to provide accurate injury information. I highly recommend bench cover all season, especially for those in contention for overall title late in the Egypt. Yep, no, absolutely. Um, we, we'll play it by ear um, and just work with what we got. But um, yeah, it's... Um it's just good that footy's back, mate. We'll, we'll be right. I'll try and be over it as much as possible on AFL Ratings on Twitter. If listeners would like a chance at scoring a plus six podcast cap, 
just retweet any podcast link that is sent out via Twitter. We'll give a few more away at the midway point of the season, Jep. Previously on the Plus 6 podcast, on episode 32, we covered off on the overall top 25 ruck ownership and trading strategy. On this episode, episode 33, we will cover off on the overall top 25 forward ownership and trading strategy. Okay, Jep, let's get stuck into it right here. Uh, there are only two players more than 50% owned on, at the forward position by the overall top 25. Ownership was spread out thin, Jep. Yeah, I think the forward line was was one of the hardest to, to sort of lock in, or it was for me anyway. Um, so there's a... There was many combinations we could have taken. Um, so, look, from a, I'm pretty thin in the forward line, mate. So I'm probably one of the one of the alternate ones. Um, but yeah, let's have a look at these ownership percentages from the top 25 and um, and go from there. Christian Petrarca, 68% owned by the top 25, 20.8 competition owned. The increase in midfield usage was widely reported during the preseason jet. His CBAs have been at a high level across the preseason and into round one. Yeah, I'm still um, sitting on the fence with Petrarca. I'm not entirely sold on him. I think he's at risk of a role change during the season. And yeah, I just, I just not not willing to take the risk at that at this point anyway. I think there's better value elsewhere, especially with some of the um, <clears throat> young Frio players that you'll run through in a sec. For me, Jeb, a player like Petrarca in any season is the type of player to take a risk on, especially when others don't believe in the midfield usage. Yeah, look, it, by all means, it could pay off. And a healthy score against West Coast, I might add, where they got, you know, Melbourne were over, outplayed quite considerably. He still scored 90. So, look, he's ticking a lot of boxes. He only... He's, only increase 18 grand. It's it's still very viable to pick him up. Um, I just yeah, I just can't see his midfield dominance continuing. There's got to be some real change. We've got the wingman set up at Melbourne now with <clears throat> Tomlinson and Langdon. It's it's a it's a pinch hitting role for me in the midfield. Um, but you know, again, he, he he hits all stat lines with the kicks, goals, tackles and the rest of it, so he could pay off. I couldn't disagree more. That midfield usage has been high. The coaching staff said over the preseason he's playing in the midfield. He has played in the midfield in the preseason. In round one, it was high. His numbers were high. I expect high numbers from Petrarca. I think he's close to a must-have as quickly as possible, Jep. Yeah, you've been an advocate for this um, for, for a while now. We've had a long time to think about it. I just, yeah, look... But to me, that that might be well, well and said. Um, but going forward, like I think if if Melbourne were to shake it up and if they cop another couple of losses, and I can't remember off the top of the head who they copped in round two. I think it's what Carlton, as you said earlier. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, but look, there's there's really good chance for a good score from Petrarca against Carlton. Um, if that's a, a bit of a whitewash game, but it might not be. Um, Look, it, it, the role change is the risk. I don't think we can stand here categorically and say Petrarca will be playing for the, in the midfield for 16 rounds. Um, I don't think that's that's a reasonable statement to make. I'll say that. All right. Well, it looks like you're jumping on. You don't own him at the moment, I don't no. believe. So, 
You were obviously jumping on prior round two. Some chance. There you go. Scoopy scoop. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew Brayshaw, Jep, 52% owned by the top 25, 41.7% competition owned. The midfield usage was okay for Brayshaw in round one. He recorded 52.4% of CBAs, but played only 65% game time. Your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think it's a burning burning sight to see him in most teams, in my team especially, and his output was quite a frustrating game to watch. So, again, we, we're hopeful that there's an improve on in round two, and if there is you know, a chance for an improve, there are 100 sort of things could have happened that game against Essendon in round one. Um, you know, he might not have been feeling well on the day or anything like that. So he's hoping he's um, snapped out of it and he carried on like he did in the preseason with some heavy midfield time and some good returns on score. The question for me is what will his scoring ability be moving forward? When will we see that scoring increase? Because the opportunities, Jeb, are right there now. Yeah, and look, I suspect... A Brayshaw to Petrarca move is what is an option um, for a small imp- increase, but let's not lose sight of what he did in the preseason. I don't. I believe. I think all the all the stats and all all the assumptions that we made, you know, sixty five percent game time for forty four in round one. Yeah, it wasn't ideal. But if he increases that game time and gets a bit of a run on and, and a bit of momentum, you know, those those scores of 44 go up to 80-plus pretty quickly and then we're getting the return from a mid-price that we need. Let's hope so. Jep, on to Lockie Whitfield, 44% owned by the top 25. 63.7% competition owned. The scoring wasn't quite there in round one, Jep, but that was up against the number three ranked opposition team for AFL fantasy points conceded last season. Your thoughts? Yeah, and non owner, I'm stoked. Um, but, you know, he's the top forward for a reason. So if you are an owner, I just stick with him. You, you can't, um, I wouldn't trade him for, for, any, for anyone um, because we all know he's going to be a top six forward at the end of the day. Um, and playing North Melbourne in <clears throat> round two is. Um, a good way to get the, the legs warm um, from Whitfield's point of view. And, um, you know, that's at the Giants' home ground as well. So he'll feel a bit at home and a, a bit more comfortable with his surroundings. I love the high ceiling for Whitfield, Jep. If he can get it going early when footy returns, the jump in rank will be significant for owners. Yeah, look, and I, I think I'll just mention this quickly as well. With the reduced quarters, it, these gut runners like Gaff and, and Whitfield, it, it will hinder their scores. I, I do believe it will. Um, so that that needs to be taken into consideration as well. Um, but, you know, again, I, I can't see Whitfield moving as a top six forward. Yeah, exactly. I think he's in, in there right at the top there. Jep, on to Curtis Taylor. 44% owned by the top 25. 19.8% competition owned. His job security should be solid, Jep. That minus two break even should result in some much needed cash generation. Yeah, one of the um, better rooks um, from round one. So we just hit, look, it all, all signs look good and that, that will carry on. And yeah, fingers crossed you can get a good solid block of four or five games where, um, you know, scores in the 50s or high uh, come to fruition. 
I'm a little bit surprised on the 44% owned. I think they possibly could have been higher. And additionally, the 19.8% competition owned. It just shows you what I thought was one of the better forward rookies going around, that he was less than 20% owned yet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good point. Look, for those that don't have him, probably jump on pretty quickly, given the lack of um, the lack of quality looks around. So, yeah, playing a half-forward role, it's always hard to score, I suppose. As a, as a youngster, that might have played a part. But um, still, you'd, you'd welcome him to your bench, even if you if um, you weren't sure of him starting on ground. So, yeah, look, 20% honed overall. That's definitely unders. Dustin Martin, Jep, 36% owned by the top 25. 59.6% competition owned. That ownership is high. He'll be one to own at some stage, Jep. He will, but his scores fluctuate a lot as previous owners, and most of us are previous owners of Dusty at some point. Um, so, yeah, let's... Um, I don't think there's a lot of loss in not having these early rounds. I, I think um, let's let's see what happens and, and look, definitely make the upgrade later. Um, but there's not going to be a huge salary loss anyway or cash generation loss from not having Dusty in the early rounds. I agree. Another point there is he's potentially going to be a quicker trading target if Richmond keep getting these Thursday night games jet for a loophole possibility. Oh, yeah, good call. Yeah, that's that's a factor to consider, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? You can kick a bag of four goals, get 25, 30 touches, mm. um, and score pretty heavy. So, look, reasonable comment. Yep, Chad Wingard, 32% owned by the top 25 starting on ground, 6.2% competition owned. Wingard scored a team-high 100 points in round one for the Hawks, which included three goals, Yep. Yeah, there was a lot of hype around him, wasn't there, pre-season. Um, and he came good in the first round. Look, and there was a risk that paid off for the, those that went with him and um, obviously sig- signalled by that 30%, 38%, sorry, ownership in round or in the top 25. So, yeah, look, it's um, it looks to be a good call early on and those owners would want that to carry on pretty, pretty promptly. So, um from my point of view, I'm, I'm not, he's not really on my radar. I've got bigger problems and other targets. Yeah, I like the Wingard pick in round one, Jep. Uh, great result for those owners. Jep, also Wingard was used at 38.5% of CBAs in round one, which is quite solid considering how dangerous a small forward he is. Yeah, that's true. And from the top, and I'm probably putting you on the spot here, mate, who was missing from that Hawthorne midfield in round one? I don't think there was really anyone of note. So that could be the norm going forward, you know, a third a third of the top of his time on, on ball, yep. um, which is probably enough for him to do some damage. So, again, ticking boxes for owners. Um, probably, you know, subjective to some roller coaster scores, but, you know, the high risk, high reward, and... Look, I, yeah, I praise those that went with him. I just, um, I'll be patient. Yeah, just Liam Shields was the one impacted by the increased uh, midfield usage for Wingard around one, Jep, there. Other notables in that top 25, Jep, we won't discuss, but there are some numbers to take note of. Bailey Smith, 16%, Brett Bewley, 12%, Jack Martin, 12%, Devin Smith, 8%, and Isaac Kenny with a great round one score, just at 4% there. 
Jep, the average salary spend on starting forwards in round one by the top 25 was 2.94 million. The number one ranked team spent 3.23 million. The highest spend was at 3.43 million by the number five ranked team. The lowest spend was 2.56 million by the number eight ranked team. The average score by the starting forwards in round one by the top 25 was 411.6 points. The highest score was 500 points by the number five ranked team with the lowest score at 342 points by the number seven ranked team. Jep, that number five ranked team, which was also the highest spend, 3.43 million in the top 25, he was the highest, uh, was Dustin Martin, Michael Waters, Jack Martin, Chad Wingard, Hugh Greenwood, and Mitch Georgiata. So just the one look there and obviously got the result. Yeah, good. And look, having the run one rook on field um, would have helped him and helped the risk. But yeah, look, I, I'm going to get embarrassed in a sec when my scores are read out compared to that. That's um, that's a really good return. You think, for, you, you think you're going to get embarrassed? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I, we'll both be embarrassed by the sounds of it. But look, it's um, it was probably like I said earlier, it's the toughest line to yep. sort of run with. I, I thought I didn't think there were clear standouts in terms of value for for primos. Yeah. That's like my approach to the, to the Ford Six um, was more of a mid-price approach. And look, I now have one pick. I'm happy with my Primo pick. It's just, um, you know, the, I've got two rooks on field and then one's Curtis Taylor, but the other's Buderick. And, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge – I'm not at comfort with Buderick on my, on my field going forward. So that's, um, you know, the top 25 of – have really gauged, or the guy that's fifth has gauged that well, and um, and I think that's gone. You know, it's paid dividends for his overall rank early um, and and good score early, given um, given the trying times with Butterick scoring thirty two and Brayshaw scoring forty four and some of these lower scores um, that came to life um, from now forwards. But yeah, all right, let's get Barra, shall we? Just on the ownership, there it was spread out quite thin. And obviously there were multiple combinations there. So yeah, I agree that forward line uh, was tough to nail in round one. There were only one or two teams in there that I really locked their forward set up. So it just shows you that uh, it was a tough get in round one, Jep. Yeah, and, and what, what the norm is going forward after some more footy and, and um, you know some scores that where the players really put their hand up and we got some solid data yep. to go by. If, if Petrarca's going to cane it in the midfield and, you know, average 90, then gee whiz, some, like it'll probably be me that misses the boat, but mm. others going to nail it and the ranks will change pretty early on. So, yeah, for sure. yeah I think um, we take all this with a pinch of salt, yep. for sure. Um, Just one game samples hold you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... Like I said, I'm I'm still pretty content with my forward line setup, other than a couple or one or two. Mm. But um, yeah, I like it. I like it. It can flip. Setup. It can flip quickly, can't it? Like yeah. it can really flip quickly. Um, so yeah, let's um, we'll, we'll have a different conversation in a few weeks after round two. I think. Yeah, for sure. There's one player that we'll get to in a few minutes that I really like in your forward line. But anyway, we'll deal with that in a few minutes. Jep, you spent $2.38 million at round one on your starting forwards with a score of 343 points. And I spent $2.74 million on my forwards with a score of 306 points. So I got crushed in round one in my forward setup there. 
Yeah, look, mate, it's um, look. I, from memory, uh, I know a couple that you let down, let us down, and or let you down and let me down. So we'll um, we'll analyse with what we got. Jeb, we are both two hundred odd points behind hundredth, and we are three hundred odd points behind first. Most of the damage in round one was done at this position for us. Yeah, bugger. That's um, that's fair. That's fair. Again, small sample size, and it can turn quickly. And I'll back some of my picks, but yeah, that that does hurt, doesn't it? Jep, our common starting forwards are Andrew Brayshaw. His midfield usage was okay, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. However, David Mundy is set to return. That ownership presents an opportunity to move away from him, but he does have a decent break even of sixty-one. Your thoughts there? Well, for me, it's a good opportunity to move away from him given his ownership, right? So he's, he's a pretty popular pick in that forward line. Yeah. Monday poses a threat. Do we jump off the bandwagon early? I'm torn. Yeah, look. I'm, I, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with him. He's just sitting there, still sitting there for me. I'm completely torn, you know, because if you're going to jump, you might as well jump now. Um, however, yeah, that, cool. yeah, however, with that break-even of 61... It's, it's it's obviously quite achievable in round two. And if he crushes it for like an 80 or whatever, and then all of a sudden he starts to increase his salary, that's something that was pretty much a waste of trade chip. Yeah, true, but it's his value for me. So he's worth, you know, 508 grand. You can do a lot with him. You know, you can really upgrade Brayshaw mm. to a primo, to a point. Um, you can utilise him to a Petrarca, which is obviously a sideways move. Um, it's just that there was potential to be a top six forward. I'm not saying he was going to be, but there was the potential there. His midfield usage was going to be there this year, and it was just whether he can pump out those scores. But, you know, I'm quite concerned, especially after round one, that his scoring ability may, may actually just not be there. Well, yeah, and time and ground plays a part in it, mate. So, look, yep. it, if we have that increase, and like we, we said, there's a hundred things that could have happened to him on the day against Essendon, and and the reason why that sort of output and um, <clears throat> you know time and ball sort of ch- didn't change, but his inability to get his hands on it. So, um, but it's easy it's easy to jump off when someone's down. It's it's we've got to read what he's going to do going forward, and if we if we think what Monday's going to do, and yes, good ball user, we look, we think Longmuir's all about the ball use, and they're obviously playing possession football at Freo now, not to forget. So there's there's a you can write a pros and cons list, mate, and I yeah, think it'll be sure. pretty even. Um, but for me, the the sort of lying factor is his value, and what what can I do with his half a million price tag? Mm. Can I can I turn it into a primo that you know I can lock away and be pretty happy with, or you know, can I downgrade <clears throat> to someone of value and, and, you know, 100 grand plus, I mean, cash at bank and use it in preparation for Jacobs to, to go on in, in round three or four? Um, mm. There's there's a hundred which ways you can skin our cat and it's all about planning ahead. Yeah, again, I'm still torn. Uh, the one, one of my thoughts there is that, you know, obviously Justin Longmuir, first-year coach, he uh, would have Brayshaw for the initial part of his coaching career, so you might as well establish Brayshaw in the midfield when you can in your first year. So, you know, is it a potential, you know, he's going to play midfield at a high usage rate all year? And if that's the case, you know, I'm not going to move him on, and then hopefully those scores do, do turn around. 
I, I again, depending on which way you go, I think that's all that's all pretty reasonable. Um, you could you could argue it twenty ways. Um, ultimately, I think it's safer to hold him. Mm. I think you know we back in what we saw in preseason, and, and again, Frio aren't are in a development year. Let's be honest. So. At one point, he's going to get opportunity on the ball to prove himself and develop, is he not? So whether that's early around in these early rounds, he's hoping for, for current owners like us. Mm. Um, but I think that was the mantra I sort of had. That was really, you know, Fremantle, possession football, young team, Brayshaw's a future leader of that football club, time to get him amongst it. Um, and I still think that's all come can come to life. So, mm. Well, um, we've got a bit to think about in two weeks, mate. Yeah, another one is obviously Nat Fife is the opposition target, so he can easily slide in there. If they're a high position team, he can easily slide in there and start to generate those scores. There's another one. There's another pro there, Jep. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's having Nat Fife next to us is definitely a help for him. Well, I'm slowly talking myself into holding. So. Yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll get there eventually in a couple of weeks. Uh, Lockie Schultz uh, was another common forward of ours, Jeb. That half-forward pressure-type role is a volatile scoring position. He had very limited opportunities in round one. Your thoughts there? Yeah, look, not not what I, we were hoping for and not what I was hoping for. I, there's definitely potential there, but, yep. you know, it was about the value for me. You know, in the early 320s, um, 320,000, that was pretty much rookie price and I thought his job security was an absolute lock. Again, Fremantle possession football game and he looked up and about in preseason. So I might look yeah. to, I might look to jump ship here, Jep. I was high yeah, look, on him not high as in I did start with obviously we did start with him, but I might look to jump ship here. Let's can I pose a question then? Who who would you get rid of first, Brayshaw or Schultz? Uh Schultz for me. So yeah, Schultz for me too. I think Schultz is is like you said, the volatile scorer. Mm. I think Brayshaw's got the role locked down better than than. And, that, um, and that's the important thing is the role. Obviously, Schultz at the half forward line, which is volatile scoring, and Brayshaw was still seeing. Obviously, with money to come back, Brayshaw was still seeing in that midfield. So for me, it's you, you're moving on the volatile scoring there, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. No, that and that's fair. And I think you know, with what Bewley produced um, from Fremantle on the wing against Essendon for the. For for the cash upgrade from Schultz to Bewley is, is probably worth it, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, again, you know, with Akers out of that team uh, and a couple of others still to come back into that team, so there's going to be a bit of a mix in that Fremantle team heading into round two. So we really still haven't seen the setup that Longmuir wants to go with and, you know, that obviously holding too many Fremantle players, especially like a Schultz, and I have Ace in my defence, so holding too many Fremantle players, even though they're going to be what I think is going to be a high-possession team, uh, could be a bit of a risk, Jeff. Yeah, good call. I forgot about Acres. <laughs> he um, he was one that had some big big possession games in preseason. So yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, well, there's all these players that come in, and obviously we're talking about the yeah. And then we still want uh, Hayden Young to come into the team. So man, it could be a bit of a. I mean, that's on defence now, but be could could be a bit of a weight on Young for us, I guess. Unfortunately. Yeah. Look, um, I think that's reasonable. I think you're right, Sugar. Oh well, let's see. We remain hopeful, my friend. Yeah, for sure. Jep, another common player, Curtis Taylor. We talked about him earlier in the podcast. His job security should be solid. 
coming off a solid preseason and round one. Your thoughts there? Yeah, so Taylor, look, did his job well. I thought he played his role for North um, and, and did what he was meant to do in the 22. So I think that there's, I think, yeah, Reeshaw would be happy and I think they continue on with Taylor at half forward. Mm-hmm. Jep, our fourth common player starting six forward line, Connor Bruderick. He played as a lockdown small defender in round one, which was not ideal for scoring. If that's his, no. if that's his role moving forward, then obviously scoring is going to be an issue, along obviously with his current job security. Your thoughts there? Look, I think he's still adequate bench cover with DPP and you know is the utility positions the obvious one, but um, on field huge risk. And my first absolute first priority in all of my twenty two on ground is is to get rid of Butterick on field. I, I'm just not having a bar of it, mate. Yeah, we could be a bit thin at F6 heading into round two, both of us there, Jep. Yeah, so, look, with what options present and, and the scoring potential of those, you know, younger and cheaper options, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a headache. <laughs> Jep, your unique forward players to me are Michael Waters. Your thoughts there? Love him. Love him. He's just a quality player for Fremantle and... Yep. I know Walters is a, is a forward threat, and that's obvious. Um, but there's got to be a 50-50 split for Walters for me. If, if Freeman are really going to impose themselves and, and win, a, win a decent amount of games, to me that's what's going to happen. So mm. loving Walters in my team, not going anywhere. Um, the only primo I've got in my six. Jep, your other unique forward to me is Bailey Smith. Uh, I absolutely love him. He's a target for me at round two, Jep. Yeah, look, and again, probably one that was up in the air. I can't say I've been really sold on Bailey for, for the whole of preseason. There was a whole array of scenarios for my Ford 6, but gee whiz, very happy. Yeah, I'm a fan. He's a target of mine, and I think uh, we'll be making that move pretty quick, and he's still at obviously at a pretty decent price there, Jep. Yep, 537k, very affordable, but... Um, well, I obviously hope not many people are going to jump on. Well, I'm advertising him right here, so hopefully everyone <laughs> yeah. jumps on. Thanks, mate. No drama. My unique forwards to you are Lockie Whitfield and Devin Smith. Jeb, I won't be moving on from Whitfield due to his high ceiling potential, but Devin Smith is a possible move with questionable midfield usage this season. I see him playing as a high half-forward pressure-type role for Essendon. Taking into consideration... Obviously, the AFL Fantasy platform, not so much your requirements for how many trades you need for your team. What do you think is a fair amount of trades heading into round two for competition-wide? Oh, look, what's fair is, is covering probably two on-field and two, two bench spots. Mm. That's why I think four is reasonable. Um, the likelihood, again, of, of bench players. We've got to generate cash. That's the hardest part of fantasy, yeah, is generating the money. So I would have thought two two on the bench to, to sort of fix up and, and, and cash in on, or, or not cash in on, but um, pick up in, in the hopes of generating cash, and then two on field as well, given that we've all got rookies on field. I thought four trades was was more of a reasonable and fair approach. Yeah, I like maintaining the integrity of the competition. Obviously, we've had a significant break due to other circumstances. However, 26.7% of our entire roster are bench players, Jep. So it's, it's a pretty high percentage. 
I think a high percentage of teams should be able to cover off with three trades heading into round two. Next week, Jep and I will be back, and that will be one week out from round two. There will be plenty to dissect in episode 35. That means there will be a bonus plus six guest podcast this weekend stacked full of information on episode 34. The top 25 forward ownership and trading strategy article is available on aflratings.com.au under fantasy right now. Jeb, that's it for episode 33. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thanks, guys.